Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. I am your host, John Benzik, the founder of VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you don't know what you're doing. Today will be a fun episode as I'll be interviewing Josh Porter. Josh is the CEO at Maker's Kit. Maker's Kit produces do-it-yourself project kits sold in specialty retail stores in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. The types of kits include terrariums, mason herb gardens, and home decor projects. They are winners of the South by Southwest V2 Venture Competition, and they've sold over 300,000 kits to date with a retail value of over $7 million. They're backed by investors such as Trebekah Venture Partners, Graycroft, Gary Vaynerchuk, and a fund of which I'm a tech partner, Matchstick Ventures. As a mentor, I originally met Josh and his team several months ago when he was participating in the Techstars Retail Startup Accelerator in Minneapolis. So listeners, with Josh here, we're in for a fantastic episode chock full of interesting and useful stories about Maker's Kit and Josh's entrepreneurial journey. To learn more about Josh's company, check out makerskit.com. Josh, I'm super excited that you're here and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thanks, John. So happy to be here. Excellent. So Josh, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics which helps set the context about your current company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help move them forward. And the final part is the Let's Get Personal component, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Josh, it's time to dive into some questions. Are you ready to rock and roll? Let's do it. Awesome. Give me the basics. So Josh, as I mentioned early on, I provided an introduction about you and Maker's Kit, but in your own words, describe your company, its product and the product scope, and what makes it so unique. Absolutely. Um, so we are Maker's Kit. We leverage social influencer audiences. Um, we create top trending craft project subscription boxes that inspire people to be creative again. You know, growing up as a child, we all had that feeling of anything is possible, and we really lose that as we grow older. Uh, so we created this company with that in mind, and we look to inspire people to get their hands dirty and unplug from all of our devices for a bit. So some of our projects include our craft box. Um, can be anything from home decor items, such as trams, like you mentioned, um, indoor gardening with our Mason Herb Garden. We also have a, a new line of artisanal natural bath and body products like bath bombs and soaps. Um, so our subscription box is $24 per month. It includes three DIY projects and an artisanal goodie with a total retail value of over $50. Um, so a really great value for those of 
those people out that are looking to kind of have a, a creative box every month. Um, so what makes us unique is really our business model. Um, so each month we look at our social sites such as Pinterest and YouTube and we find unique the top trending projects with 100,000 repins or a million plus views. So we then partner with those creators of those projects and feature them in our subscription box. That influencer that created that idea will make an authentic tutorial video showing their following and then our following as well how to make their project and give ideas on how you can really make the project your own. So each month we then survey our customers of our subscription and find out what their favorite projects are. Those favorite projects are then developed into retail package products. So we take those retail package samples that we created and present them to our retail partners like William Sonoma, West Elm, Urban Outfitters, and more. Retail partners really love it because we present them with relevant, currently trending DIY projects. These projects sometimes are only 30 days old. We're able to get them in our subscription box, test them, and have them retail ready. Um, so those products are not only socially trending, but they're tested products that our subscribers have built themselves and shows that they love it. So all those millions of potential customers in our retail, um, all of our retail customers, they come back to our website to watch those tutorial videos. So we're really leveraging the influencers that come up with the project ideas and our retail partners that are selling it to drive customer acquisition to our subscription box. So that's really our business model. That's what we've really worked on the past two and a half years to really perfect. Um, and it is alive and well today. It's a very busy time for us. It's the holidays. So it's really been a great, great journey. Can you tell us more about what is driving the need for DIY? Do it yourself. Yeah, definitely. So I had mentioned a little bit earlier, it's, it's really there's a movement out there to really start making your own items again. You'll see a lot of times if you go to the supermarket, like there's a big drive to go back to organic handmade items and people, people, especially millennials and, um, you know, people in the age range from 25 to 40 are looking for some way to, to make their own items. You, whether that is artisanal bath and body, creating their own, own home decor, look at Pinterest, Pinterest, is huge and constantly growing. People are on there constantly like looking at inspiration of what products they can build and what projects they can do, but everyone's scared to make a Pinterest fail. So that's where we come in. Um, we really make it easy. We have a DIY box. All of our projects are usually three to four pretty simple steps and we partner it with a tutorial video so you're not alone in making the product. And we really inspire people to, to make it their own. We give them ideas on how to really customize it with things laying around the house um, to really say, hey, I made that um, and share that, you know, gift it for people that they love or really just do the project with a loved one. That is so cool. Tell me how many employees you have now. So that is the interesting thing about our business model, and I'm sure we'll get into how all of that happened down the road. Um, so there are currently only three of us. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a really great team of creatives. So as myself, um, my background has been in operations and finance. Uh, then there's Mike Stone, um, one of my co-founders. He's chief creative officer. He's been an entrepreneur since he was 15 years old. He started his first company when he was 18. Um, he's really the creative genius. So he's the one that finds these projects online and really makes them come to life um, in our products. And our third uh, co-founder is Alex Froelich. Um, he's our chief product officer. His background has been in international sourcing and logistics. 
Um, so a lot of people are probably thinking, how do three of you run a business that has sold so many units? Um, and it's really, it's really how we've fixed our business model over the past two and a half years. So what we've done is basically, uh, we have a third party logistics and manufacturing company that creates all of our products for us. Um, Alex really has his utilized his experience to really create those partnerships. So we have great partners that make great product for us. Um, you know, huge product quality is a big thing with that. So we have our partners that send us videos on how they're making the products. We go visit them. Um, we get samples before we're ready to move forward with anything into a real product. So we have that ability to where we don't have to have a huge team that creates it. We have, you know, there's always going to be a slow time in our business. And it's, it's nice to have the third party manufacturing company that takes care of the, the labor of, you know, building all of our great projects for us. And then as far as everything else goes, it's like we're able to utilize uh, social media to really come up with ideas. So we don't need a huge team of product development to create our projects. Um, so we utilize social influencers, like I said, through uh, Pinterest and YouTube. And we partner with those influencers to really highlight what they do. Um, so really giving them a, an, extra, an extra platform to sell their brand, um, which is great. And our, and our retail partners love that. Um, it's really that handmade in the U.S. and it's really highlighting just people like you and I that um, you can really make something and, and have your own brand. How many retail doors are you in now? It's holiday time. So this is when we're at our peak. Uh, probably this holiday will reach uh, between f uh, four to 6,000 retail doors. That's sensational. And list some of your top retailers. I know you mentioned some earlier, but do that again. Yeah, so Urban Outfitters uh, has been one of our biggest retail partners from the start. Um, they share a lot of trends with us, and um, they've been carrying our products since the very beginning. Macy's, West Elm, Williams-Sonoma, TJ Maxx, Home Goods, um, Tilly's, a lot of specialty retail stores in every state in the U.S. we are in. So it's, it's a great mix of customers. That is fantastic. Josh, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, which often causes them to scramble and make changes in order to survive. Regarding Maker's Kit's uniqueness, did your original assumption about the product's uniqueness prove motivating to consumers, or did you dis discover a slightly different selling proposition over time after being in business for a while. Yes, definitely. So our we everyone has to iterate. We've been iterating this company for two and a half years, and it really took, uh, honestly, about two years for us to really figure out our business model. So we started, we created, created projects that we loved, um, that we came up with ourselves. We had a team of designers that would come up with ideas, and a lot of times they weren't working. And, it, and the issue we found there was we were coming up with ideas that we thought were really cool and not really paying attention to what our customer base was. Uh, so it really taught us to be more data-driven and survey our customers, figure out who our customer is. And, you know, our customers changed a little bit over the past two years. So constantly making sure that we know who our customer is and know what they're looking for. So that's where we really came up with the idea of utilizing social media because that tells a story, you know. If there's a project out there that has a million plus views, that's trending. Some people love that. Um, so utilizing that to really build our product is, was the game changer for us. And, you know, it really took us 
um, two years to get all of that lined up and pinned down. Give us the genesis or the story of how Maker's Kit came into being. Yeah, that's a great story. I'd love to tell it. So we started the business uh, in San Francisco uh, about two and a half years ago. Uh, we were just doing these fun workshops on the weekends, um, anything from teaching people how to screen print t-shirts, uh, how to make classic cocktails, um, terrarium making, just fun projects we were doing on the side. We all had other businesses we were working on. Um, and those those weekend projects became uh, really popular, actually. And we were making more money than our day jobs doing it. So we were figuring out how can we turn this into a business. The cool part about it was there was uh, employees of Google and YouTube that were coming and doing uh, our projects with us on the weekends and weeknights. And Google actually reached out to us and asked us to come to the Googleplex and to do projects there, um, which was amazing. It's like, oh my gosh, that kind of gave us some validation that we may be onto something. So we went to the Googleplex. Is right around the time um, they were launching Google Glass. We were doing these workshops, and they asked if we could do 2,000 workshops in a day. And we're like, <laughs> uh, there's only a couple of us that would probably be a little difficult. We're like, well, don't you have some sort of kit that you can, you know, make so that we can, you know, send out the kits to the 2,000 people that come in that day? We're like, yeah, we could totally make that happen. So we literally came up with 2,000 kits in a matter of a couple of days, creative them out of our apartment. It was it was insane. Um, and it went off really well. Uh, Google loved it. YouTube actually approached us and was like, you guys are what makes this business. It's like, you guys should make videos and post them to go with the projects. So they actually helped us create our first couple of, of videos, which was amazing to have YouTube kind of help us to get our start. Um, from there, we got a little bit of leverage in uh, PR. So we got a write-up in the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, the VP of Macy's actually read the story. He loved it. He met with us. Um, and from there, we uh, kind of got our first break. So we got a PO from Macy's. This is when we were figuring out what we were doing, you know, are we a product company? Are we uh, an online media company? Like, what are we? Um, so we got into Techstars New York back in the spring of 2014. Um, and that is right about, we were a month and a half old at that point. And, uh, and Techstars and that, is, a, is an accelerator for those of you that are listening in. It's a startup accelerator. Yeah, so Techstars, that accelerator is a three-month-long program, and they really focus on mentorship, which is actually, um, we have done Techstars twice now, which is where I met John, so we love it. Um, but it's great mentorship. You learn a lot. Um, you get to talk to you know executives that you would probably never be able to reach out to. And so that's where we've really leveraged Techstars to build our business and grow it. Um, by the end of the program, we had a lot of POs and like, how are we going to finance this? And we leveraged the Techstars uh, network to raise our seed round. Um, and that's when we got our funding. And then from there, uh, we literally hit the ground running. We had uh, retail distribution out the gate. Um, instead of you know being a company that was online and building the brand that way, we leveraged all of our retail partners to really build our brand. And um, from there, we got our PR firm that got us some great PR hits. We've been in all sorts of publications. Um, we were just recently in New York City we were doing Facebook Live events with Cosmo Magazine, Facebook Live events with House Beautiful. Um, so it's been it's been a great ride. Um, you know, started this little idea in San Francisco, and and now we're uh, two and a half years later. There's three of us are still pushing forward and uh, making amazing DIY projects. Congratulations! Very well done. Thank you very much. 
So here we are in the Tell Me How segment of the podcast, where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Josh, let's talk about raising capital. Keeping in mind that most aspiring entrepreneurs have no knowledge of how to get money for their startup, how did you start raising capital? Yeah, so we were bootstrapping in the very beginning, um, and you know, there's just a few of us. We weren't by any means out of uh, any sort of capital ourselves. Uh, and, and when we were in the TechStars program, it's really when we figured out what venture capital is and you know what it could be used for. And we had started getting a lot of leverage at that time, and there was just no way that we'd be able to fulfill the purchase orders we were getting from our retail partners, and that's how we were going to grow our business. So we didn't really have an option. We had to raise capital. Um, so it was really building the idea. Um, you're selling an idea to people that want to invest in an idea. Um, and our idea was really creative. And at the time, you know, there was a lot of interest in um, the maker movement is what it was called uh, back then. We don't like to call it that anymore, but it's really when Pinterest was really coming alive and a lot of people, you know, were looking for ways to spend time outside of, um, you know, being on their phones all the time is spend time with loved ones or family. Uh, and that's really the idea we put it into motion, you know, is really these projects that are unique, they're simple, getting people that don't think they can do DIY that can do DIY and really leveraging social media um, to prove that it's really a trending idea. Did you have to raise capital even before Techstars? Uh, no, so we were started actually, we were lucky and got into Techstars at the very beginning. We were only a month and a half old. so. Um, we were just bootstrapping and making it work from, you know, a couple of family members had given us some loans to help us get out our first POs. Um, but really, we just got lucky with timing, honestly. So when you were in Techstars and started raising capital there, how did you go about raising that capital? Be specific in terms of, did you get a list of angel investors or venture capital sources? How did you develop that list? Who did you talk to? How did you talk to them? Yeah, so that's a that's a great thing about being in the program. They have a ton of investors that you're interested in. Um, they helped us get some of our mentors that we have today, um, which you know helped us tap into that network. So it was really going down to making a list of investors that you're interested in. So going to their websites and finding similar companies that they've invest, invested in. Um, and making that list and, and really diving into why you want them to be an investor. It's not because you want their money. You want them to be an investor because you want them to be helpful. They have money, yes, but they have resources. And what can they add to your business? Um, you're giving away a part of your business to have them come on board. So don't just think of them as someone that's going to give you money to help you move your business forward. How are they going to help you? So really look at what they've done, what companies they've worked with, and find out how they work with um, founders. What do they look for in founders? What do they look for in companies? Um, you know, how are they going to add to the business? So it took a lot of work. Um, you know, it's really making a list of over 100, 200 investors that you're interested in. Um, you know, when you're in those meetings, asking them uh, what they think of your idea. Um, you know, what interested them in you, uh, you know, leverage their networks as well. They're going to know other venture firms that they've invested with before. 
Um, so really just leveraging a network and creating a network um, and really figuring out what you want in the partner to run your business. When you raised the money, did it always go smoothly? Uh, there's always there's always times you're wondering, is like, oh my gosh, what if what if we can't close this round? What's going to happen? Um, and you know, there's there's tons of resources out there to utilize. You know, we we did the accelerator route, um, which helped us immensely. Um, we loved it so much, we did it a second time. But it's it's really about creating the relationships. Um, it takes time. You know, these people are looking to give you, you know, sometimes millions of dollars uh, into your business. So it's really creating that relationship. Um, and you'll learn, you know, sometimes there's just like any relationship. You may think that they're going to be a great partner. And after you get to know them for a month or a month or two, um, it finds out maybe this isn't going to work out together. So it's just building a relationship, um, you know, giving them information is like this is what we're going to do these are our benchmarks this is how we're going to do it um, and know that you know you may not hit those benchmarks and they know that but it's a matter of how you communicate with them and how you build the relationship let's switch gears and talk a little bit about finding a manufacturer how did you go about finding a manufacturer for makers kit i know you have a partner that does that but how did he or you your team go about doing that yeah, so in the, beginning, in the beginning, we were doing everything ourselves. So we had a studio in Los Angeles that we were making everything out of and shipping out of. Um, and then once we closed our seed round, we had tons of orders coming in. Um, so we moved to a warehouse space near downtown LA. So we were making everything ourselves up until about the end of 2015 um, when we moved all of our production to third-party logistics facilities. So the good thing with us is that our chief product officer, Alex, has background um, and international sourcing and logistics. So he's, he's dealt with uh, large manufacturers in China um, and Asia and overseas. So he's, he's had a uh, background in that. So it really was kind of uh, you know, going around in the Midwest. A big part of our business is that we're handmade in the US and we didn't want to go overseas. Um, at this point, we don't, we don't see the need to go overseas. Um, we want to keep that handmade in the US. So it's really going to um, using his network and finding manufacturing firms in the middle of the country is where we picked because we ship out a lot of product for our online business. So having a centralized hub that everything ships out of saves us a lot of money on shipping instead of shipping out of Los Angeles, which, you know, if we ship to the East Coast, that's a long, a long distance and a lot more money. Um, so it's really finding someone and having them make your product, um, getting them excited about it. If they're not excited about what you're doing, they're not going to be a good partner. Um, so they make our product. We go out. We really showcase the product. We have detailed build sheets of how the product is made. Um, it's got to look exactly like this every single box, every single time. Um, so it's really finding someone that's uh, excited about the idea um, and really uh, kind of becomes an actual real business partner. Once you choose that that partner to help you assemble and manufacture, what sort of challenges or problems do you face in working with that partner, especially as a new company and, and doing something new? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, we were, we were a small company um, to start and you know, they were taking a leap of faith and wanting to grow with us and you know, making room 
for us on their production line when you you know we would have orders that wouldn't come in like every week you know it'd be sometimes a month we wouldn't have anything um so it's really building that relationship but uh the big part of it is is really uh, probably the biggest challenge is we're based on the west coast and our production facility is in the midwest so there's a lot of you know online communication there's like almost daily calls um you know, we're having to find out day of something's supposed to ship out that they're running low, you know, on a certain uh, item that goes into a box. And it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating sometimes because you're not there. Um, but at the same point, uh, it the pros outweigh the cons of that. You know, you just have to always be thinking ahead, making sure that you have everything, have constant communication um, and really figure out a way to make it work. Let's shift gears a little bit to selling the product to retailers. Early on, how did you learn to do that? Tell me about your experiences in approaching those retailers for the first time. Yeah, so we really got our big our big break um, when we got some PR hits in the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, so it got us some recognition by retailers. And like I mentioned, the VP of Macy's had read that. And it's kind of where we got our first big order. Um, from there, my co-founder uh, and chief creative officer, Mike, uh, he had experience in retail. He was a fashion designer. He had his own uh, retail stores in San Francisco. So we leveraged his network and experience of working with buyers to build relationships with buyers. Um, he's very creative. He's actually taught classes to small business owners at Unique Camp, um, which is in Los Angeles. It's a camp of a lot of, you know, creators that have like an Etsy store that they make their own products and they go and they meet um People that have started their own businesses, and it's really idea sharing. Um, so it's a, a, a weekend camp that's really cool. Um, and so it's really utilizing our resources and being creative. It's huge. Retail buyers get product samples all the time. So the big thing is how can you make it creative? How can you make your product stand out? Um, and that's really what we did. You know, I, I a lot of my time. My first career was in the hospitality industry, creating memories for people that came to restaurants for special occasions and came to hotels for special occasions. So it's really setting setting the product apart from all the other product samples they get. So being creative with utilizing uh, their network. So if you know a buyer in one store and they have most likely buyer connections in another store, so really utilizing that network and um, you know, if they love a product, have them be your advocate and send product samples for them to introduce you to other other buyers. So really just being creative to make yourself stand out. Let's talk about the pricing of the product, especially when you're working with retailers. How did you go about setting the price for the product? Yeah, so we started our business selling to retailers um, as a wholesale vendor. So with that in mind, we knew out the gate we had to focus on margins and ensure we had a quality a quality product that had value at a retail price that our retail partners were selling at. We're in specialty retail, so you know it was a higher a higher price kit essentially. So you know our average price was about twenty four dollars on our suggested retail price, but a lot a lot of our retail partners would sell it for you know thirty to forty dollars. Um, so we had to really make sure that the the quality was there. Um, and that it had value at that retail price. So it's kind of hard to do whenever you know you're selling to a retailer and a lot of times it's you know 50% off of, of the retail price is what you're selling it at. Um, but good, luckily for us, we, we started our business knowing that. So it's really 
you have to be smart with sourcing. You have to be creative with sourcing. Um, you know, you have to, to really do your research and build relationships with your, your vendors. And, you know, we're a small company and you have to tell them like, hey, this is the potential. Um, we're working with this partner. And if this partner takes on the product, they have, you know, 250, they have a thousand stores. This is what our buying power can be. So, you know, building that relationship with the vendor, we utilize some of the same vendors that we started with two and a half years ago. And, and they've really been a partner with us along the way and have grown with us. So um, it's really, again, all about building the relationship. How do you generate awareness and demand for your product with such, with being such a small company? How do you best do that on limited budgets? Yeah, so it's really for us, we leverage our retail partners. Um, we use them as a customer acquisition strategy for our website and for our subscription box. Um, so that's kind of the, the good thing about our product is having our online tutorial videos. Um, we're really driving all of those customers that purchase in a retail partner back to our website to learn more about us and to hopefully become a subscriber to our subscription box. Um, we use PR. Um, they've been very big for us in getting us in tons of publications. We've been on the Today Show. Uh, you know, we've been in Cosmo magazine, we've, we've been in Forbes, we've been in, you know, really every major retail or media outlet. Uh, and then we leverage the social influencer audiences. So a lot of our products come from social media and we leverage the audience of the people that create the product that we put into our subscription box. Um, so it's really leveraging, you know, social, leveraging our retail partners and, you know, your own social. Um, Mike, our chief creative officer, he manages our social and he makes it fun. Um, we're a company that inspires creativity. So we're not going to just post a picture of this beautifully, this product that's been, you know, beautifully manicured in this setting. It's really all about social, all about, um, you know, retail partners, how you can man leverage your partners and build that relationship where it's okay for you to kind of utilize them as a customer acquisition source as well. Let's get personal. So Josh, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business, but never start one. Starting a business is special and pretty unusual. What motivates a person like you, Josh Porter, to stop just talking about launching a business and then actually go out and start a business? You know, that's, that's a... a... <laughs> Okay. Interesting way to put it. I don't know if it was ever my destiny to start a business, but um, from, from a young age, my parents really taught me and my brothers to be independent. Um, I grew up outside of a small town in rural Missouri and took over my brother's lawn mowing business when I was 14. <laughs> my dad would drive me around. Um, every summer I had like 10 to 15 clients um, that I would mow their lawns during summer breaks from school. And from there, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. Um, you know, it, it, took you know a number of years and working in the corporate world um, before I really got the itch I was like you know I want to do my own thing um, and it's hard it really is hard but you know the, the right idea and the, the right friends um, that had great ideas uh, and surrounding myself around people that had started businesses kind of you know gave me that opportunity that you know kind of just presented itself one day and the idea presented itself and we something we really loved and we, we ran with it. Um, it's hard. Starting a business, I don't think, well, is ever easy. 
Um, you know, there's a few cases out there that just, you know, right idea, right time. But um, it's something that you have to love and you know, Maker's Kit and inspiring creativity and really watching people um, build projects is really rewarding in itself and kind of keeps me keeps me inspired. What have been your biggest joys or what have you been most proud of since launching Maker's Kit? Yeah, so I think the biggest joy is really is just seeing a direct impact of what you do immediately. So we have a creative business and we've done tons of live events where we will do projects with people and it it's always brings a smile to people's faces, um, especially those that think they could not do a project because they don't know how to DIY. Um, also, uh, you know, working with a small team like I have is like having a second family. Um, the three of us just recently moved the business to Portland from LA um, together, which is, you know, moving a family itself can be stressful. Um, but, you know, moving moving a business with uh, people that you started it with is also stressful. Um, but we, you know, we all live in the same apartment complex and we hang out. So really um, just being able to change someone's day um, with what we do is, is really, uh, really makes it worth it. And then I guess what I'm really most proud of is just watching this little idea we have come to life um, in a world where we're all glued to our devices. It's nice to have people take a step back and spend some quality me time or you know time with their families um we get to read stories about just that every day which which makes it worth it what has been your biggest frustration you know we uh we came into this with all these ideas of exactly how this was all going to play out and you know we've created products that we personally love they're like oh this is going to be the number one seller this is going to be it and it is a dud um, so you always have those frustrations. It's like um, it, it, it was hard for us to really learn that, you know, we can't just create products that we love um, just for the sake of, you know, making it and be like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Um, we had to we had to learn that, you know, our customer base wasn't necessarily who we thought our customer base was. And we had to go out and find out who that person was and what they're looking for. Um, so really adapting the business every day. Just because you you love something and you want to make it work doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work and you have to be able to let it go. Josh, many entrepreneurs, even the best seasoned ones, experience self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self-doubt have you had, if any, and what has triggered it and maybe how have you dealt with it? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's always times when you build a company, especially a, a young one that we have, you know, we're two years old and um, there's always been those times where it's like, oh, we haven't had a PO that has come in in a couple of months. Like, oh, or this new product line, you know, no one really picked it up. Like, why is that? Um, so you have those moments of self-doubt, um, but you can't you can't set in that moment for more than just a few minutes. Really, you have to get out of it and. You can't let anything like that drag you down. Um, you always have to come up and iterate, come up with the next idea, learn from that uh, mistake or learn from what happened and go from there. Um, you can never, never wallow in self-doubt. So starting a business is difficult, but it's exciting as well. And how has starting Maker's Kit changed you as a person, if at all? You know, I worked first half of my career was was in a corporate environment for a pretty large company and 
um, you know, that is totally different than having your own business. Um, so it's really humbling. Um, I guess I, I don't know if that's the, the right word I want to use, but I guess I'll go with it. Um, it's really humbling to to start your own company. And, you know, when I was in the corporate environment, I was spending someone else's money um, and running someone else's business for them. And now it's mine. And everything I do has a direct impact on myself and my co-founders. So it's, it's, it's crazy to really think about. It's like, you know, this decision could make or break us. Um, and that can be scary. But also at the same time, when it works out, that, that, is, that feeling is just absolutely amazing. What do you think you've learned most about yourself? Hard work pays off, and I will always thank my parents for teaching me independence at such a young age. Um, you know, I, I guess it's that Midwest work ethic in me, but um, I've learned that, you know, hard work really does pay off, and, um, but also working with, with others and recognizing um, that you aren't always the best at what you think you're the best at. Um, so utilizing everyone that's around you and really put um, each person in, in the right position and, and always learn from each other and learn from others. So you brought that up a couple of times talking about how your parents taught independence. How, how did they teach that? Uh, I, I will always remember this. So I was 14 and my mother looks at me one day and she's like, I asked for, you know, to go get some clothes or something I wanted um, at a store. And she's like, if you want something that isn't sold at Walmart, then you better go get a job and get it for yourself. <laughs> I've always remembered that. And I take that with me everywhere I go. It's like, uh, you know, if you want something, you have to go out there and get it. It's never going to be served to you on a silver platter. Um, and it's going to be hard. But that sense of accomplishment when you work so hard to, to create something or work so hard to, to get something um, is worth it. Who has been most influential to you in your life? Uh, I would definitely say my parents. Um, they've, you know, grew up in a small town in, in rural Missouri and, uh, you know, taking great care of me and my brothers and really taught me um, that hard work is, you know, how you get through life, but also integrity in everything that you do. Uh, and I've taken that, what I've learned from them growing up, and I've taken that and applied it to my personal life and in, in my business life. And it's a big part of how I've become successful as I am. So what do they think about you now that you're raising capital and working with venture capitalists and growing this business and getting all of this PR, et cetera? They were terrified when I left the uh, you know secure corporate job life. Um, and came and started my own business. Um, they thought I was crazy. They actually flew out to California um, to make sure that I hadn't lost my mind. Um, but now they, you know, it's still a roller coaster ride. I have always stories that they wish I would never would have told them of what's going on. Um, but they love it. They they trust me, and they uh, they're always supportive of even though it may scare the, scare the hell out of them, um, they're always supportive and, you know, uh, always there if I, I need a, an ear or a shoulder to cry on sometimes. Josh, my final question for you is, do you think I missed any questions that you feel like you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing piece of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? I think you, I think you really covered a lot of great bases. I guess the only thing I would ever say out there is if 
Um, you know, you have a great idea and there may be a ton of people that tell you it won't work, but um, you know, if, if you are really inspired and really believe in something, there's always going to be someone out there that can help you bring that idea to life. Um, it will probably not be anything close to what you thought it was going to be or what you had in mind, uh, the end result, but it will be worth it um, every step of the way if you really, if you really enjoy um, you know, creating your own, your own path and following that path and are ready for whatever may be thrown at you. It is totally worth it, and I wish you all the best. Josh, you've been a great guest offering sensational advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and for sharing your experiences with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 